Welcome to Talk Time with Max Contact, the podcast where we talk about the latest contact center and customer experience, industry news, and insights. Join us as we welcome industry experts, discuss actionable strategies you can apply to your business, and help professionals like you on your path to long-term career progression and success. I'm your host, Sean McIver. Hello and welcome to another episode. I'm joined today by Gary Gormley. Gary's the CEO of Fab Solutions and has been since 2019. They specialize in auditing and understanding operational effectiveness and identifying areas of opportunity within the businesses they work with. Gary's also the Associate Director of Training at the Next Level Consultancy Limited. Been doing that since 2020 and they specialize in sales, sales support and marketing consultancy. Gary is also the founder of the Contact Center Network, established in 2020, which is a networking group who meet monthly to help connect contact center thought leaders and professionals together with other people from the industry. Most recently, Gary's the founder and CEO of Fab Outsourced Solutions, which was started in February 2022. So let's start there then, Gary, if you wouldn't mind. How did you transition from Fab Solutions to then including Fab Outsourced Solutions? What was the trigger point for that? That was a wonderful summary of the last three years, put succinctly, Sean, in about 60 seconds. It feels like a lifetime ago. So yeah, Fab Solutions was set up in 2019. And part of what Fab does as a group is we look at process improvement and we look at where there are opportunities to either engage new channels or improve on existing channels or or ways of working. And one of the things that we were asked quite a bit to look at was either improving my outbound performance, so my internal team's outbound activity, we want to increase connection rate, so we want to improve processes and speak to more decision makers and improve sales performance. But at the same time, we're also asked to look at how do we outsource our existing lead generation or our credit control or our back office service functions to other areas that we don't have to do it in-house. And principally, that was primarily looking at, I suppose, the international outsourcing arena. So looking at South Africa and places like that because of the cost of labor and the ways of working out there are so vastly different to the UK. So I I found myself getting involved in a number of projects like that in quite a a quick succession. Obviously, as well, there was COVID that hit back in 2020 and outsourcing went crazy with Cytel and lots of other different outsource operations cropping up because of a track and trace. And we missed the boat on that as a business a little bit, albeit it wasn't right for us at the time when that was happening because there was actually a major pandemic happening. So it probably wasn't the best time to set up a new business. It did get me thinking over that time as to how we can help support clients and I suppose take the fab group to the next stage of its evolution, which is to naturally in helping deliver on some of our purpose and some of our mission is to reach more people and to improve that customer experience. So out of that came Fab Outsource Solutions, which is a, a long way around of a long answer to a short question. Yeah, it required a little bit of context. No, context is always welcome. And it helps kind of contextualize what we're going to be talking about today. Because one of Fab's main goals, as I understand it from what I've read, is to, and I quote, change the perception of contact centers through delivering amazing customer experiences. So can you expand on what you feel that perception is? And then in addition, What for you defines an amazing customer experience? Yeah, so (laughs) I always say, and and people do resonate with me when I say this, is as a customer who has interacted with contact centers, as literally millions of people will have, 
the first thing people tend to do when they pick up the phone to a contact center is, and they heave a big sigh as they start to commence the wait for the agent to pick up the phone. And that's not unusual. Most contact centers that I speak to and that I deal and dial with personally, there is generally a long wait time, especially if it's the energy sector or utilities or your broadband supplier. It seems to take a long time. So when I was crafting the vision statement for, for FAB, which is changing customer perceptions about contact centers through delivering awesome customer experiences, I thought about that from the customer's shoes and said, right, actually, it's the customer's perception that more than nine times out of 10 is the most important one. So if we can help change customer perceptions and provide that with a better experience, that has a knock-on impact in terms of how the center is run, how the agents engage with customers, and the experience that they give customers at that point. And the frontline agents are your key and your, your lens to all of your brand experience, to all of your customer experience. So if we can make their lives easier by making the customers' lives easier, then it has a knock-on impact in terms of customer experience. And I look at three things when we talk about customer experience and how we can improve and what an amazing customer experience looks like. And it's not bells and whistles. It's not providing the best technology and the quickest response time, but it is about making the process that customers have to go through as easy as possible. It's about simplicity. It's about making that process and making that journey as easy as it possibly can be for the customer to do the transaction that they want to do. And it's about giving them choice. It's about giving the customer the options that they want to interact with you. So whether that's through a web chat, whether it's through a chatbot, whether it's through voice, whether it's through email, whether it's through a WhatsApp, allow the customer the choice of how they want to interact with you. And you don't have to have all those options, but you have to consider the customer journey when you're thinking about that and consider the type of interaction that a customer wants to have with you in your contact center. And then the last one for me, it's about probably the speed of resolution. And that's not to say solve everything really, really quick. It's resolve things as quickly as we possibly can within the processes in the confines of what we've got. But do that quickly, do it timely, but be really clear with the next step in the process. But most importantly, and I think this is where most customers get irritated, is follow up. Follow up on that experience, either follow up with the actions that you've set out to do, or follow up and ask how that process was. How was that experience with your contact center, with your advisor, with your chatbot, with your web chat? And follow up on that process to close the loop on any gaps that might be arising from a poor experience. Do you think customer follow-up is still underutilized looking at the industry kind of writ large? In pocket, well, let me answer that fully. Yes is the answer in totality. I think it's good in pockets. Um, but what I've not had happen in my experience in the contact center as a customer and what I see in, in contact centers when I'm speaking to them is they don't have the processes in place to do that timely follow-up. So I talk about things like closed loop feedback. So if you imagine your experience as a consumer going through a process, people quite often they'll ask you for NPS. So they'll say rate us out of naught to 10 and count the number of times when you've rated anything below a six, and how often somebody has actually come back to you and closed the loop and said, oh, why did you rate as a five? Why did you rate as a six? Why did you rate as a four? They don't. And actually, they don't even come back to you if you're rating them highly, if nines or tens, 
nobody rings up. Great, you've had this fantastic experience. Tell us more about it. We want to give some feedback to the agent to say, really well done and find out what's going on. So when we talk about closed loop feedback on some of the interactions that customers have through some of the mechanisms which we use to define what our um, customer experience is, be that MPS, be it customer satisfaction, be it customer effort scores, we don't go back and close the loop on that. And then we don't do remediation off the back of the problem that they experienced and close the loop on it. So I think in really good contact centers, it's high on the agenda because process improvement is high on the agenda. But I think those centers are probably few and far between. Yeah, I think that's fair. Just very briefly to sidebar, I remember what an experience I had whereby I did have a company close the loop and come back to me. This was several many years ago now, but they did close the loop and come back to me and say, oh, what was the reason for you giving that score? And I had a conversation with somebody who called me. And then what was really interesting was I then got a further closing of that loop as well which actually just reinforced that they'd really thought about that whole journey from end to end, which, yeah, just to back up what you're saying, it doesn't happen often, but when it does, it does improve that feeling valued as an individual, as a customer. 100%. Yeah, it enhances the customer experience, I would agree. Yeah, no, that, that makes perfect sense. So one of the other things that I wanted to touch on was that within the Fab Group, you mentioned about the four key areas in terms of the work that the Fab do which is people, processes, leadership, and technology. Now, we've talked about some of those. What are the trends in terms of areas for improvement across the contact center landscape at the moment? Where I think there is an opportunity to improve is probably better use of technology, so leveraging technology for what it actually can do. I think what we did when we came out of COVID, or as a consequence of COVID, is we threw lots of bells and whistles at the center because we needed to. So we went to an omni-channel contact center solution that's based in the cloud. And what we did is we created all these great tools and real good use of um, technology, but actually we didn't necessarily think it through at the pace that we would probably have thought it through had we been introducing this in, in peacetime, if you like, for example, and say, actually, let's do a full RFP. Let's think about the requirements. Let's think about the use cases. Let's think about the customer journeys. So I think technology is probably one that we can start to think about how can we help that improve customer experience by leveraging what we've got and utilizing to its fullest potential things like a lot of people have got things like speech analytics now or customer sentiment scores. And I think they're probably for some people sitting on the shelf gathering dust because it requires somebody to actively work and build a strategy that tells you about what that key sentiment is at at certain points within the customer journey, analyze some of the phrases and the words that are coming out of customers' experience, and then build in a continuous improvement plan around those things so you can actually use it so that it makes a difference. And it can actually help save you money, it can improve the customer journey, and it can improve the customer experience overall. So I think there's definitely something that we can do more in respect to leveraging technology. But I think there's also probably some back to basics with it as well at the same time is to say, we need to fix the fundamentals before we start to run with lots of fancy gadgets and fancy AI and fancy technology. Because sometimes it's more around, we've not got enough staff, we've got high levels of attrition, we've got too much demand for the supply of agents that we've got. And that as a consequence drives high wait times, it drives higher complaints, it drives high agent attrition. So fixing some of those fundamentals 
is absolutely crucial if we're actually going to start to make any progress because there's no point in having really great technology and really great channels and all these different channels that customers can interact with if we just simply don't have the staff to handle that demand. And we end up having high wait times on web chat or we end up having high wait times on the call queue. So we need to fix the fundamentals and then start to work out how technology can support and work alongside some of the improvement measures that we've got so that they we can make the best of both. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. Certainly, you know, particularly in the universe that we now live in, I suppose this is, <laughs> to continue your analogy, we're not quite in peacetime yet. We're still in that post-war lull. But one of the things that has happened within the industry that even I'm aware of through friends and colleagues is this huge shift in terms of what some people have called the great resignation. People are reassessing what work they're doing. And I think it's interesting that you mention about the people and the skill set required there. In fact, you, one of the aspects that you've emphasized is highly empathetic, emotionally intuitive customer service reps to create amazing customer experiences. I mean, in the universe that we're now in, whereby there is that huge recruitment cost and that risk of, a, of our customer service users migrating to other businesses, how do you foster that environment in the right way so that you retain those staff? Is that a will-skill balance? And how do you go about approaching and engendering that culturally? Yeah, I think there's definitely a few different facets to that. I think you've got two pockets, haven't you? You've got the, the people that you're recruiting for, where you're replacing those people that have, for the great resignation, decided that contact centers are no longer for them and they've moved on to passages news. So we've got to backfill for those agents with the right type of person. And then we've got to make the training experience and the support and the development that we give to our existing teams of a really high standard so that they can deliver the great requirement that is customer experience and customer service delivery to all our existing customer base. So I think there's something in there around how effectively do we upskill our team leaders to recruit for the right type of candidate and the right type of person? And are we recruiting in the right pools for that? And are we flexible enough as a centre to go and find the next best pool of talent? And I think that links to the operating model that we land on, whether that's a, a remote model, a hybrid model, or a bricks and mortar model. And I think having a blend of those three is probably key to getting the right type of person for your center. Because I think if we can show a flexible model, that gives us the opportunity to really saturate that talent pool with really good talent in our centers. And then if we train team leaders, which invariably we do, to have really great interviews and identify the best talent through the right type of questioning, the right type of role plays and the right onboarding experience, I think we'll get a really good pool of people into the center that can help us deliver on that customer experience mission. And then I think we've got to think about all the existing teams and, and what they've gone through over the last two or three years. And they're pretty much exhausted with everything that they've gone through as part of COVID and the experience that they've gone through with COVID. And the landscape has hugely shifted in terms of what role that they are now doing. So if you think about all the stuff that we did over the last two or three years, we've taken loads of simple transactions out of the mix. We've created self-serve options for customers. We've created more intuitive chatbots that are more AI responsive. So those transactional queries are now being led in a more digital nature. So the calls that we're getting through to the contact center are generally probably a little bit longer, probably a little bit more complex, and probably a little bit more challenging. So the agent's job has become a little bit harder. So we've got to support them 
with the right training, with the right knowledge base and access to knowledge. And the whole premise of which they're working now is different because they can't turn to the left and ask somebody what the question was or what the answer was. They've now got a more, they've lost that osmotic learning process through just listening to in and around others. So we've got to create those communication channels that allows people to interact virtually to build that link back into the organization that helps breed that that culture. So in essence, it is a challenge. I think the operating model that you decide will play one factor and then how we support and develop and coach and manage people internally and give them access to knowledge and give them access to the right tools to be able to do the job effectively will make an even bigger difference. I agree. And I'll actually expand on what you were saying around that osmotic learning process that happens. There's the other aspect of it as well. You know, I started off on the front lines myself in a contact center. And I, I really clearly remember it was banks of debt, rows of desks, the standard setup. And I remember very, very clearly on a number of occasions, a colleague finishing a call and I would turn to her and I would go, oh my God, I don't know how you managed to get through that call. That sounded really challenging. Are you okay? And and she would return and go, oh, that was really difficult, but we got through it and blah, blah, blah. And even sometimes, you know, when we had our little whiteboards on the desk, we would just write the word breathe and just hold it up at each other. And that's something that's missing in this fully remote environment. And I think that's one of the things that contributes towards that fatigue and attrition, changes as good as the rest, as many people say. I don't quite know what the question is that I'm trying to get to here, other than fatigue versus attrition, how do you identify it and effectively act on it? I suppose, particularly through the lens of remote working. I mean, fatigue is a really good word to use because the job of a frontline agent can be absolutely exhausting. And we talk about customer vulnerability and we've got very clear policies for, for how we deal with vulnerable customers. But I don't think we recognize agent vulnerability as clearly as maybe we do customer vulnerability. And when you think about the, again, the changing landscape of the UK economy, we've got an energy crisis, we've got an inflation crisis, we've got a cost of living crisis. And at the same time, we've got customers that are experiencing all of those things, ringing into agents who are experiencing all those things themselves. And the customer is ringing in, might be a particularly irate customer, and the agent has, is dealing with all this stuff, thinking about their own bills, thinking about how they're going to put food on the table, Speaking to a customer is having the exact same issues as them, but they're having to put on this suit of armor and be this super agent that can take on the problems of the customer as well as take on their own problems. And they're doing that remotely in the bedroom. So our job as, as a leadership team in the contact center is to create those outlets and to make sure that we are dialing up communication as much as we possibly can in a remote environment and recognizing the signs of, of fatigue and potentially, and this is where it becomes a bit controversial in the whole cost center versus value center, is allow for more breaks, allow for more time off the phone, allow for, for more opportunities for people to hold that virtual hand up and say, I need to take 10 minutes because I've just had a really difficult conversation with this customer and create those outlets so that they've got the opportunity to detach and breathe. And you can do that in a number of ways. I mean, I've seen organizations really taking to Teams channels really, really well and creating different Teams channels for different things. So it's emergency chat channels or emergency kind of ways to communicate. I've seen people have constant Zoom rooms open or team rooms open where people can go in and kind of just 
take a moment to reflect and dial a, a team leader in. People have taken to things like Slack as a communication channel. WhatsApp seems to be um, one there that you've got team WhatsApp so you can keep in touch with people and send a bit of an emergency SOS if needed. So I think just thinking broadly about the options that are available, but inviting the frontline agents in to solutionize that as an option, because it's them that's experiencing it. What support do they want? How do they want to be communicated to? How often do they want to be communicated to? And things like having virtual conversations. I've spoken to team leaders where there'll there'll be two black boxes on a screen. It's like, why are you having a virtual conversation with two black boxes on a screen? Well, they can't put the camera on or they don't want to put the camera on. But actually, this is an essential part of how we communicate, reading body language, reading eye contact, seeing what the environment is behind them. Are they in the bedroom with a pile of washing on the background with no windows or curtains closed? And actually, is that creating the right environment for healthy living as well as healthy work-life balance? It's a tough one. Yeah, I absolutely agree. Having been on both sides of the coin, the difference of it's interesting because you talk about kind of putting on a mask or putting on the armor when you're actually you're one of those people and, and you're having to have these conversations with similar people who may be in similar scenarios and situations. And I think it's interesting because when you walk into an office environment and you sit at a desk, the environmental impact of that can be hugely impactful. And it allows you to put on that armor when you walk through those office doors. And I think it's interesting that when you are at home, you don't have that same differentiator in terms of your physical surroundings that allows you to step into, literally to step into that headspace to be able to do that. So I think that's that's a really, really good point to make. There's a detachment, isn't it? When you walk into the office and when you walk out of the office, you've closed the door, you've detached yourself from that environment. What's happening now with the way that we're working in the environments that we're, we're working in is we've got customers maybe screaming and shouting at, us, shouting at us in our bedroom and then we're walking into the kitchen to get some food. Or actually, it could be they're screaming at us in the same room and what we're doing is just putting headset down, going making a coffee and not detaching ourselves from that environment. So I think that the place that you live in should feel different to the place that you work in. And I think it's as an organization, being mindful of that, it's so saying, actually, where are you working? Where do you locate yourself in your house when you're doing the job? And actually, is it right that you're doing it on your kitchen workbench where you're actually, that's where you have your family meal. That's where you have conversations. Because actually what you're doing is you're attaching memories to that environment that might not necessarily be great ones. So you really need to think long and hard about when you're working from home, what the environment is that you're creating in that home environment. I can only agree with that myself been through similar scenarios myself, whereby, you know, you finish it even long beyond me being a, someone who was working on the phones regularly. Just the very fact of I went through a period of time where I sat and I was working on my laptop. I was at my sofa working on my laptop. And then you would finish the day, close the laptop, put the TV on, put the PlayStation on, whatever it might be. But you don't feel like you've actually stopped working and you'd hear a ding come from the laptop and you would go, oh, I'll just You've got that instinctive, oh, I'll just check it. And you can't. You just don't switch off, do you? It's very hard to do. And especially with the, with the demographic that typically tends to come into contact centres, where they're relatively young, they might be in the early 20s, late teens even. And actually, there is a risk that they're not going to leave the house. They're not going to get some fresh air. <laughs> they're not going to go out and do a, a walking one-to-one or something. They could literally be cooked up in their house the whole day and not, leave and speak to another person. So 
I think we've just got to be mindful about that as a leadership team and think about, and again, it goes back to that vulnerable customer policy for customers, vulnerable agent policy for working from home or working in that environment. And I think that maybe might make people think slightly differently. Yeah, I agree. So I'm going to throw something out there. We've just been talking about being able to have this communication channel open and being very open and talking to each other and having videos on. One of the things that I've read and that I understand is that you provide anonymized and honest feedback on culture and issues that impact teams. Forgive me, but surely the very fact that feedback would be anonymized means that there's a fundamental problem with the culture. Is that a fair assessment or have I misunderstood? It's interesting is the phrase I'm going to use. And I think when the whole point around anonymizing feedback isn't necessarily to be underhand or to give people the opportunity to speak in confidence. The anonymization of feedback for an organization is to allow for more free conversation. So if you go into it with a, this is, we're not going to use names, we're not going to use people, titles, etc. I think it just creates a safe environment and it creates that opportunity to have really open and honest conversations. And I say that in two ways. One, you've got the, the formative feedback is to say, right, actually, I think these things can be improved and these are the areas where culture isn't perhaps as it should be or what you think it is. But I think there's that opportunity then as well is to be brave in saying, this is how I think it could work differently without fear of it being a bad idea or a a daft idea or fear of it being, Sean McIver said this and he suggested this idea and everybody's turning around and saying, well, that's a really daft idea. So I think it creates, it immunizes people in a way that helps them be a little bit more forthcoming in, in idea generation, in suggestions around what they want to see improve. And actually, if there is a poor culture, then it immunizes people from any repercussions of being open and honest in the feedback that they've got for the leadership team. Yeah, no, that's actually framing it in that way. I can appreciate where you're coming from in that one. So to take to continue on that kind of avenue of the thought process of around the feedback aspect of it, you also do quite an intense round of feedback involving things like customer interviews with key clients, lost customers, existing clients. Again, forgive me, but why is that more effective over the traditional customer follow-up that companies themselves might be doing? I think there's, if you, as an organization, and think about this from your own experience, is someone rings up and you've had a bad experience or you had a bad experience with a particular person and somebody rings up, there is a natural instinct. I don't necessarily want to get that person into trouble because it's their boss ringing to find out that feedback. So I think that's one area. There is an independence with what we do as an organization to do that customer validation, that customer feedback, that customer response. So I think this the first thing there that it's it's an independent view of what we're asking. So we're, we're looking at it from an independent perspective. And what we also do is we look at it through a customer experience lens. So whereas um, an internal organization might just be looking for feedback, what we can do is we can interrogate that feedback to think about it from a customer journey. What was the specific journey that you went through? What was the specific transaction that you struggled with in terms of effort? How difficult was that to get that transaction done? Uh, What specific wording would you use to describe that journey? And we can be a little bit more in-depth with, I suppose, some of the the feedback that we're going to get through the customers because we interrogate the customer journey in order to drive improvement options. 
So it's a constant review of the experience that you went through as a customer, the point in which that experience took place in terms of the customer journey, and then what areas it was it that specifically required improvement. And then that's packaged back in a way that helps customers understand at what point is the process falling down? And where do we start to think about the wording that customers are using, the phrases that they're saying, and the feelings and the sentiments and the emotions that are attaching to each of those different points in the journey that help us as an organization make some recommendations back to the business they're on? It may well be the quoting part of the journey. It may well be that people aren't following back up on quotes. So people don't feel like you're valuing their business. You don't feel like you're interested. Or it could actually be when they're actually using the service. Your sales team promised the earth. And actually, you've delivered really sub part of that. And again, it's just joining some of those dots together to give them a holistic view of where the problem is in the customer's journey. Okay. So I'm going to expand on that point then. So I'm a customer. I've been through a very good customer journey. We've talked about NPS scores, and everybody's familiar with this at this point. So my question is, what's the best way to, I suppose, encourage satisfied customers to become proactive advocates for your service or your business that doesn't feel disingenuous or forced. We've all had those survey responses whereby you get that response and then you're just like, yeah, they're just looking for a 10. And that it doesn't feel natural. Do you know what I mean? I think the first thing is, is that you have to ask as many customers as possible for that feedback. Because what typically tends to happen in some senses is they'll only ask the good experiences for feedback. So you get a false positive, if you like, in that if you're only ever asking for the good stuff, you're never going to make an improvement. But I think there's a few things to think about when we're we're asking for feedback, and particularly when it's coming from satisfied customers, is what we're always trying to get is how could we make it even better? How can we make your experience even better? So brilliant. You gave us a nine or a 10 in your, your MPS feedback score. Tell us a little bit about that experience. Tell us what made it a nine or a 10. And if there was one thing we could have done even better, what would that have been? And then it's you're actually asking for more. You're not asking to stroke the ego of, I'm asking you this so I can go away and give the agent some great feedback. Yes, that's a nice to have. But what we actually want to know is based on your experience, what would have made it even better? What takes it to the next level of customer service? What takes it to the next level of customer experience? And I think there's a few things around asking for feedback, acting on it, and then feeding back. And again, it goes back to that closed loop position to say, right, actually, you gave us a nine or a 10. Was that a genuine nine or a 10? Or are you doing that because of the agent made you feel really good, but actually the process wasn't particularly great, but you've given feedback on the agent because the agent did a marvelous job and you don't want to get them in trouble. Uh, So was there something that we can work on? And then actually closing that loop and feed it back. But I think the other bit, but certainly for customers who are in that positive promoter space, is recognize that throughout that customer cycle at random points within the cycle. And it doesn't necessarily have to be because you're asking for something or you want somebody to complete a survey. So I talk about surprising and delighting customers based on certain points of criteria. It might just be a birthday. So actually send them a birthday card. Just remember the fact that there are little touch points within a customer's life cycle that means that they're they're experiencing you and your brand. Sometimes things like somebody's sending you a notification to say that they've recently got married and they're changing the, the name or the title from Mr. Mrs. That might actually be a recognition point to say, right, congratulations, we've noticed that you've recently got married. Congratulations on your divorce. We've noticed you've recently got divorced. Maybe, maybe not that extreme. 
it's just small things that I think can make the difference in customers feeling valued and therefore giving you more loyalty when it comes to either a renewal or being more forgiving when you make a mistake. I think that's another point is to say, actually, the way that we react to things and correct things means that customers can be more forgiving when mistakes occur. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you very much, Gary, for your time today. And yeah, it's been really enjoyable talking to you. And yeah, very, very much enjoyed the conversation. Talk Time is brought to you by Max Contact. To find out more about Max Contact and how our customer engagement software can help you and your teams provide smarter customer experiences, visit maxcontact.com and book your personalized demo today. Be sure to search Talk Time with Max Contact in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or anywhere else podcasts are found and leave us a positive rating to help other like-minded individuals join the conversation. Finally, before you go, never miss a future episode by clicking the subscribe button and turning on notifications. On behalf of the team here at Max Contact, thanks for listening. <laughs>